Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. You're listening to Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm Drew Cutler, and it's time to get embarrassed with us. Is that what, if you were a zombie, is that what you would say? You would just be risen from the grave. You wouldn't be like, where are the cold cuts? Where is my salami? Oh my God, where's the cold cut? That's a great... Um, I feel like if a zombie came back and he talked to me, I'd be like, wow, what a lame zombie. <laughs> All the cool zombies don't talk, so the fact that you're talking right now in case you ruined the zombie with us. In, in case uh, you haven't figured it out by now, we got Jimmy back here for this week of Lost and Rewound. Welcome back, sir. Yay. I'm Alon. I'm Jimmy. I'm Allison. Back once again from the swamp. She has, she has risen from the swamp. <laughs> He's risen from the grave. She's risen from the swamp. I've risen from my bed. We're all here. Swamp mama. We're for all here. here. Thursday I after- thought of a really good t-shirt name yesterday. Oh, yeah? Hanging out with this badass musician right now. His name is Jasper Smith. So everyone should check out his music. Um, but we thought of a really good t-shirt name, and it's good for leftovers. Good for <laughs> well, everybody should be but good for leftovers. Um, leftovers. I can't think of a band called Leftovers, but it sounds good. I know about Leftover Crack as a band. Leftover Crack. Yeah, well, you don't know Leftover Crack. I, I guess I, I have to Your get into it. Musical taste is lacking, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> the band. The band is just as exactly as it sounds, probably. Every Thursday afternoon here, you can find us 3 to 4 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. And we do this every week as a way to uncover all the old audio artifacts, all those sounds from your yesteryears. Tell us what you got and let us know if you have something you want to pitch to be on the show at Lost and Rewound at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. Donate to our show if you'd like. This is uh, not for profit. We're not bringing you commercials, even though we're bringing you commercial-style voices. Yes, indeed. <laughs> if you'd like, again, to donate to our show, you can go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash L-A-R to donate directly to us or RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash pledge yeah. to keep the station a flizzle. I'm glad that we the whole gang is back here. Allison, you're going to be back here anyway soon in in the flesh. And when can yes, we expect Swamp Lady uh, uh, in the flesh again? Swamp Lady will be returning the 19th, the 29th. Cool. I'm excited to see all my own friends. Mm. Are, you coming ba- are you coming back, back, or are you just visiting? Oh, honey, I ain't ever coming back. <laughs> for real? <laughs> are you for uh, real? I don't know, man. I fucking, it's dope out here. <laughs> um, She's but, uh, uh, official no, Swamp Mama. Wait, sorry, what were you saying? I'm coming back for 10 days. Yep. In Bra- mm-hmm. Bra- no, you're sort of vacationing in New York. That's screwed up. <laughs> it's, is it? It's like the best. I get to come in. I'm going to do like a couple gigs, make some money. I'm going to live for free. I'm going to bounce out real quick. I guess that makes, it makes almost too much sense. I'm doing it right. 
What? It makes almost too much sense to move away from a place like home. And then, because you can visit, yeah, you know, a million people. You just crash on like a thousand couches. You know, yeah. you, you don't have to think case? about it. You have all the hookups. And it's like, yeah. I'll come do some open mics with you. It's ingenious. See, I have to do that with LA because all my friends went out to the lake to make it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I mean, a lot of musicians that work it. here do go make a bunch of money in New York and then just come back and like record here and chill out. It's a good scene. I mean, what? New Orleans. Yeah. Let's, let's let's get started and let's find out cool. a little more about uh, the guests that we have this week and maybe we, uh, a scene will be uh, detailed. Okay. Songwriter hailing from Tampa, Florida. He is one of the founders of Bushwick based and critically acclaimed music collective Unit J, which has showcased for Northside Festival and the Florida Music Festival and has appeared twice now at South by Southwest. Now, Drew has a new album entitled Bring Closer the Distance. Returning to Radio Free Brooklyn, live here in the studio with us, welcome Drew Cutler. Hey. It's so nice for you to finally be here after all the conversations had. Yeah, it's nice to meet you guys. Some of you in the flesh and some of you uh, remotely. We were chatting earlier. You did, in fact, have a show on Radio Free Brooklyn when we were back in the DeKalb Avenue basement. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways what's interesting is that our shows aren't entirely that different. We only did it for a season or so, but it was called Sketching a Song, and we basically just played uh, songwriters' stuff, and then we asked a bunch of questions about you know why they chose that chord or that verse and we just kind of deconstructed it a little bit i think yours does a similar thing but goes back even further you know Mm. i can't take too much credit for finding all the good guests it's uh really it's all about allison and jimmy uh being so deep in the open mic and singer songwriter scene would you agree jimmy and allison i don't know i feel like i'm talking on behalf of you guys no i would agree i mean i'll take any sort of credit you know so i would absolutely credit hog well yeah i i I think i've said it multiple times um being a comedian i hang out with a lot of musicians because um they make me feel better about myself yeah the good people they also like comedians they kind of hate their life and themselves also just a little bit (laughs) they take the despair from their life and they try to like wash it away with the music a comedian takes the despair of their life and tries to focus on it yeah (laughs) i like that how can I zone in on this? <laughs> yeah, let me like point it out and like put it on display. When did you move to New York officially, Drew? I've been here about 10 years. I lived in Tampa, Florida for like 20 years. And one of the main reasons that I left is that my band broke up. You know, I had this band in college and in high school and, and we worked really hard. And for anyone out there that, you know, has been in a band or a theater troupe or a comedy troupe, uh, that's like a relationship. Oh, yeah. Know? And when that thing ends, it's heartbreaking, you know. And mm-hmm. so I was just sort of devastated. I just, 
I couldn't play the same venues anymore with anybody else. I couldn't go to the old coffee shops, the old hangs, all this stuff. You broke up with more than just the band. Yeah, I had to break up with the city. I needed, I kind of needed, and I think a lot of people feel this way when you need a big sort of sea change in your life. You can create it by physically moving yourself, you know, to another place. And for me, that was New York. I just, I had some friends here and I was like, I just got to go. I'm just going to get out of Florida for a little bit. And um, I moved here. And so I knew that I was going to do more music. I'll always do music. But uh, I, I got to be honest, I think the reason I started doing the solo thing, or at least calling myself Drew Cutler and not just forming another band, was because I don't uh, I don't want anyone to break up with me again. <laughs> I feel you on that. I hear that, man. Like, that's one thing that I've personally, I've never like had a comedy team like that. But I think that's exactly it, is it becomes a big deal. Like, for instance, like in comedy, you have like a key and peel, right? They came up together and now they're kind of like finding their own success apart. But they were probably very worried about having to depend on one another for that success. And then you look at like a band like the Beatles, the most classic breakup of all time, where they pumped out all this fantastic music right before they were like, we can't even look at each other, but let's get it all out right now. Album after album after album. And like, what do you do with that stuff? If you're a writer, you're left with all this material that you wrote with the other person. If they don't want to be in the group anymore, you don't feel comfortable singing it or performing it or getting on stage with it. So... You know, if you go the solo artist route, you know, I, I hate to say my band are hired guns because these guys have been with me for over seven years yeah. and they're like my best friends now in the world. But if one of them got uh, a really great gig touring with another artist, I wouldn't hold them back. I can sub in a drummer, I could sub in a fiddle player or something like that. If that's the way you felt, then that could definitely be shared among your peers, likely that they were feeling the same way. Maybe they branched out and went to other cities and did something else with their music. Mm -hmm. It's like once the glass shatters, all the pieces go elsewhere, right? Look, we're all artists here in the room, and we can all say freely that artists are troubled folks and very complicated spirits to deal with. So to say that we all split up and we're equally successful in different ways is not true. I mean, one of the main reasons my old band broke up is that we had a dude pushing 30 that was still living with his parents. You know what I mean? It was like, there's just certain personality types with artists that you kind of have to deal with. And most of the folks I used to play with still stayed in Florida. They just kind of hung there, which is great. And they've they've done their own thing. But it was important for me to come to New York, there's a lot of people making things here, and the bar is pretty high. Uh, whether you are a writer, an author, a comedian, a musician, a songwriter, a piano player, um, there's a lot of people doing it. And there's a lot of people that are pretty good at it, you know? So it was really fascinating to immediately be thrust into this world where not only do you have to make and make a lot, but you have to make a lot that's pretty good. I know exactly what you mean. The interesting thing about New York is that if you have a talent, there's an audience for you. And you can find a niche audience, even if you do something that's not like, you know, for the masses mm-hmm. and, you, you know, or, or like the, the, the general public wouldn't come and go, like, what, what, what am I listening to? But if there's an inherent talent that you have, you'll be able to like find it. And like, again, like I say, just like find a venue to put it out there. So I think that's one that's one of the great things about New York is that you can be out, be performing, have people that are actively seeking out your talent and wanting to see other performers and like communities and things like that. But you're right. The bar is high. It kind of brings everyone else up. I feel like you kind of have to be good or you get out of the biz. Yeah, people move. I mean, like there's definitely there's a, a million folks that come here for six months, eight months, one year, you know, whatever. 
No. What were you going to say, though? Well, it's no different than L.A. then in that case, though, because a lot of people I know who are actors who will travel to L.A., and they know that they're not going to want to be there for a long time, but they have to be there for a significant portion of their year in order to at least get some kind of uh, momentum. Voiceover, for example, if you wanted to get like a really good gig, you can be based in the city. But the real heart of where the work comes is in the micro markets. And Allison, uh, this spills out actually kind of into something I was thinking you might be able to uh, attest to is, is when it comes to doing oh. shows, you could do shows not just in this in New York you, or in the East Coast. You can go to the Midwest. You can go to Chicago. Either one of the shows that you've been doing recently to somewhere that's a smaller market and you know that you will have an audience. I mean, I have a, just a nice following in Chicago. In New Orleans as well. Yeah, for sure. It's pretty, like, awesome to watch. But, yeah, I mean, I think also it just depends on, like, the following that you have and how often, you know, you travel. Like, I've been touring for, like, you know, say roughly, like, you know, nine years on and off. So I think that's helped. Where you're based is one thing, but where you're heard is a whole other level and a whole other, other thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think it depends. I think that can change. With, like, wherever, that was part of my reason. I mean, I had a couple reasons for moving, but that was one reason to kind of have a whole nother market, you know, because I've lived in Chicago and London, Philadelphia, New York, now New Orleans. It's like I've brought, you know, I have a following from all those cities because of doing that. So mm-hmm. just continuing to see if it works. I'm curious what Tampa scene is like. I'm not really familiar. I've never really been to Florida, so I'm I'm very interested as to what kind of scene one could expect um, then, now, if there is any differentiation. Tampa is, you know, an interesting place. It's kind of in the center of Florida, you know, but it's not like Orlando, and it's more similar to Clearwater, St. Petersburg, like that kind of area, you know, so beautiful beaches, a lot of people hanging out, plenty of folks that retire from up north and come down. Ybor City is where I cut my teeth, and it's a really cool, old, traditionally... Uh, Hispanic neighborhood where they became famous for like rolling cigars, like early, early, like 1900s type of stuff. And so a bunch of rock and roll clubs kind of moved in and there was always a dance scene there and there was always kind of like a vintage clothing scene. And there's definitely cool stuff happening there. I hate this argument that people say like, oh, this city's better than this one. This one's better than this. It's the biggest waste of time. Yeah. Um, You know, in today's world with the internet, you know, you can find your people (laughs) wherever they are. So whether you're the gal that stays up until 5 a.m. playing Dungeons and Dragons or you're the dude that just wants to like light candles and cry all night, you can find people that will do that with you anywhere on the planet, you know? So Tampa is a really cool place, but you got to seek out the spots. You know, if you just drive down Bruce B. Downs in North Tampa, you're going to see the same thing you'd see in upstate New York, which is a, bin- a Binnigan's and Applebee's, a TGI Friday's, a mall, and, you know, whatever else uh, there is. You know, you know my home area much better than I do now. <laughs> I mean, most of America looks exactly the same. It's true. Right? It's There's true. a difference in, like, the type of trees you see, yeah. and if it's hilly or flat, you know. And the and food, the type, man. And the, the food. food. Well, yeah. And, and, and then, like, the, the nature of the people, too, you know. Oh, Florida's yeah. a little more laid back. It, it reminds me, in some ways, of the Colorado vibe. There's sunshine every day, so if you don't get to your laundry on Tuesday, you get to it on Wednesday. You know, as we're in New York, it's like, no, tomorrow is snowing and yesterday was raining. I have to do my laundry today. That's the day. I did see a really very good quote recently um, that's from Eugene Merman, but uh, our friend David Lawson uh, put me onto it, which is that everywhere there's an East Village. 
<laughs> which is so fucking true. Everywhere you go, right. you're going to get that little scene. And you were a part of that scene when right. you were starting out. Right. And um, we, we played a show with Eugene Merman, which is crazy. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> this is all coming full circle. But um, we played in Jacksonville, and he was on this weird circuit where I think he had a few shows where he opened up for a rock band. And it wasn't Modest Mouse, but it was kind of like a band that sort of sounded like that. I'll have to get back to you with the name of the band. Long story short, there's one joke that he told that stuck in my head. And at this point, he was doing this like video comedy where he would be playing a video and then he'd tell a sh- little shtick and he would like play a video. And he told this story of where he's like, um, I called my bank the other day and they said, I have to pick a security question. And uh, and they, I said, can it, can it be anything I want? Yeah, it could be anything you want. And then how do I answer? It's like, well, you have to pick the answer too. And we have you, you have to answer it the way. He goes, okay, you guys have to ask me, are you wearing pants? And I have to say, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, I saw him open for uh, Flight of the Concourse. Yeah. Okay, so he's still doing that sort of thing. Yeah. Which, it yeah, works yeah. well. Drew, was your uh, upbringing musical? No, I don't have any musicians in my family, which is weird. Uh, I don't really even have any artists in my family. Do you have siblings? Two sisters. You know, my mom and dad were just kind of just a regular middle class family. You know, my, my mom's a school teacher, been a science teacher for 30 years. My dad's an accountant, you know. So in a lot of ways, just a typical kind of suburban upbringing. Also similar to what most young people probably experienced. My parents split up when I was 11 or so. Your sisters uh, are younger or older? They're both younger. Okay. So we, so- were, we were born sequentially. We're all a year apart. Oh, wow. Typically. So pretty close. Irish triplets. Then it's, no, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Is that a thing? Did you, that, did you make that phrase up just now? Irish triplets? Well, it's never mind. <laughs> it's not Irish twins who are traditionally uh, 18 months apart. But uh, no, I don't know. I, I, it was the first thing that came to mind. That At any rate. I've never heard of this. So your parents split up, but one of them... I bet you was a lot more into music in terms of like collecting music or was it truly on your own? It's weird, man. Yeah. Like my family always supported me being an artist. I mean, even since I was young, my mom gave me, you know, pencil and paper. And I remember the only way I could get through church was just to draw when I was two and three and four. But my family's the type of family that's like the music in their life is what's on the pop radio when they're driving from the house to the grocery store Naturally. and that's basically it like they don't collect it we didn't listen to it you know other than what's in movies and tv that wasn't it so i had to look elsewhere you know, which is why i got very into punk rock you know when i was 15 that was my first sort of musical kind of diving into exploding into a scene where i could do something my family what didn't know about and we could sneak out of the house and trade vinyl or yeah. go whatever you had never been to even like a show you weren't even ever taken to a show before that impetus yeah my first show was Rod Stewart. Oh, yeah. Yay. That's so righteous. It was like seven or something. Hell yeah. And I, I remember, you know, enjoying it. But it was one of those where my dad got something from work, you know. Got it. And we just kind of ended up there. But yeah, you know, look, support a family, but definitely not artistic or musical. And and I'm not really convinced they have always gotten the things that I did. But they're into it. You know, they're, they're willing to say, as long as, long as you're happy, bud. When did you pick up a guitar <laughs> for the first time? 13 or 12, maybe. I think probably similar to most of the musicians I know. I remember going to this birthday party when I was in uh, middle school. It was the first birthday party I went to where there was like guys and girls. But it was at that time, and you might remember this too, Allison, where it was like the girls are in a little circle over here and the guys are in a little circle over here. You know, like there's just these little huddles. 
And every once in a while, they'll sort of trade secrets or something will happen. But pretty much it's a co-ed birthday party where everyone stays completely separate. And then these two long-haired dudes came in with acoustic guitars. And you got to remember, this is 90s where like rock was huge. You know, so we're talking about Weezer and Smashing Pumpkins, Stone Tool Pilots, like Nirvana, all that stuff. Bush, it was huge. And to me, they were like old adults. I'm sure at this point, they were just like 25-year-old dudes. And uh, they were called Big Sandy, and they oh and they uh, and they just played pop tunes. They just played. They just played for like an hour. All of the girls went to the stage. Everyone like just oh, swarmed sure. the stage, sure. and I was kind of like, ding, musica, riva. That's the thing I need to do. I, I need to like figure that out. So I got the guy's card, and then you know one of the guys, Mike, actually became a close friend and uh, was my teacher and mentor. He actually started coming to my house. Uh, my mom would like make him dinner and stuff. He would just hang out and teach me how to play songs off the radio. What was the first song you remember learning? Probably something off Bush's 16 Stone. That's um, a, I know, that's that's awesome. And you have your guitar with you today. The, the, so. think, uh, you remember the song? Mach- Machine Head, yeah, man. That, that, that might have been the first riff I practiced and learned and was able oh. to play. The, the millennial crowd will find out. Wait, there was a band named Bush, probably? But if they even are listening, they probably know already because they're that cool. I had that record. That's pretty dope. I think the first song I learned on guitar was uh, Run Around by Blues Traveler or, yeah, or Foo Fighters, something by the Foo Fighters. But the Foo Fighters song needed a capo, and I didn't have uh, the mind wherewithal to get a capo because I already spent too much money on just getting the lessons to begin with. I only ever learned one song. Have I mentioned this on the air before? Yes, you have. Smoke on the Water. Yeah. <laughs> little, little I know your stories. stories. You know my stories. <laughs> yeah. I could do that, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I was in third grade, and I felt like a boss. I remember I would stand on the stoop of my house, and I would play it at people walking by. <laughs> Be like, <Wow>. what up? <laughs> I, I like the idea of playing music at people. <laughs> Not to them. <laughs> yeah, not not. It's not like the Tori Amos kind of thinking of of energy as a waterfall, you know, where you you give and take. You know, it's just vomit at them. <laughs> All the sounds have some. <laughs> exactly. My first instrument was the trombone. Oh, oh, hey now. Did we? I don't think we talked about that. We're not, we're gonna no. need to. I wanted to play the French horn, but I wasn't big enough to carry it up and down the stairs, and they would only let you take mm. the elevator if you were disabled. So in fourth grade, I learned how to play the trombone. Allie, please tell us that you have clips of you playing the trombone that you have. Oh, just... sure, I, just, I can find them. I love that you were like too better. small for your instrument of choice. Think of the kid who had to play the tuba. I mean, think of the kid who wanted to be a center in basketball, and they were just like, you could be the towel boy. Not long after I could barely play guitar, we started a band. I had bands since I was like 13 years old. I just always had bands, punk rock bands. It was just like the faster, the louder, the better. My family didn't understand it, but they were interested in us playing. They they let me use a spare bedroom. They let us play in the garage in Florida, which was over 95 degrees. It was absolutely miserable, but we loved it. You know, we just do stupid stuff. I remember... We would go to the community center down the street and any other vandals out there might have done similar stuff. But we would wait for these business folks to finish their cigarettes. And then we would just take the butts, you know, that were like half smoked and then like (laughs) go just like steal away at age 14 and like smoke one puff of a cigarette (laughs) off and then act like you were punks. And you could write a song about how terrible your parents were or something, you know, (laughs) but every punk rocker does. 
<laughs> Cigarettes are bad for you, but they feel so damn good. No, I don't know. I just created something just there. We were chatting about uh, your first iterations in the world of music. I actually want to, at this time, get started with just a few of these tracks. They did 1998. Yeah, yeah. This, the, you know, I, I, you guys asked me to bring some stuff, and that was old. And I dug and dug, and I found these old, I don't even know how I still have these digital files, but I want to tell a quick story, and we could pop the second one. I think that, that one that says Wish I, this is the first thing I could possibly remember having the ability to, to capture. I, I, and, and basically... Here's the story. I'm in my little bedroom and my dad gave me his old Hewlett Packard computer from work and it had Windows ME on it. I don't know if anyone remembers. Oh, yeah. The worst Windows operating system of all time. Easily. Yeah. And uh, it had some little crappy like eighth inch input and I, I found a microphone in our garage that was my grandpa's and I plugged it in. And I just started like trying to layer stuff, and it's just it's just really playing around with sound. I, I I don't know how old I am here, but you know, roughly early teens. expecting i'm sure this is really embarrassing and weird to hear but um there was like this delay so i couldn't it was very hard for me to play with myself because there's this thing called latency that you're dealing with when you have a crappy computer and so when i was trying to sing along with myself it always recorded about a half second later than i heard it in my headphones (laughs) so and and it's real distorted and crappy that is the first recording where I, i layered my own voice on top of anything else the one thing that you start to lose, I think, as you get older and you continue to make art is there's this sort of voice that tells you that something's not good. You know, there's this voice that says you did that before or someone else did that or that's not that funny or that's not that catchy or that's not that sexy or that's not that uh, colorful. And when you're first starting, you're just so excited that you made a thing. Completely. It's just a, it's it's just exploring. And I still can get there, but it's harder work. You know, you have to remind yourself as you get older that the best things come from play. Yeah, oh, yeah. putting it down and doing it rather than like just discouraging yourself because of a lack of confidence and faith in yourself, typically. And like, yeah, we're like, oh, yeah, it's going to be derivative. <laughs> we should take a listen to maybe uh, one more before we get to break, and uh, these are from 1999. This is one step further, so I, you know, I know I graduated beyond the Windows ME computer. Um, I, you know, I have an acoustic guitar and I have a single microphone. It's an SM58, and I even bought a little digital four-track recorder. Um, so this, this was Modest me beginnings. taking it a little bit further. There's really no words. It, this wasn't about songwriting at this point. This was about 
just layering stuff and can I make a little world? You know, so a lot of these are short experiments into this kind of little world. doing that and making it so layered and lush and gorgeous that's like fucking really impressive thanks friend thanks a lot i mean at that time you could hear unlike the other one i started to know a little bit about chords i didn't know about key signatures i had no training i, I had no idea you know what chords i was playing but i at least had four chords under my belt what it's just that's all you need it's like you, you the variations are limitless when you have more chords but then when you just have four you're still have so many different variations at your disposal, man. It's just, I'm still just so amazed by hearing all of our guests when they come on and they're playing music that they did when they were in high school. And it just shows the level of artistry that's in the works, that's in the making. I have a question. Is Answer. Is there any specific like, mood or emotion we're trying to capture, like, let's say specifically for like that song or like what do you remember from being 13 from playing with Sal before? I think you were going through. For some of these, you know, that we have here, I remember the story behind them. In other ones, you know, I really don't remember. I don't remember the specific story behind this one. There's another one that was right around the same time when I got my first keyboard and I was trying to make these kind of darker worlds. It's called Obsession, something like that. And I do remember the story, Allison, behind this one because I remember going out in my driveway and seeing like these older kids parked across the street and they were making out in their car. And uh, and I was like, that's awesome. I can't wait till that happens to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I stayed there watching them for a creepy amount of time. And then I felt a little guilty about it. And, <laughs> and I wrote a song called Obsession. We're going to take a listen to Obsession as we head to break. And then when we return from the song, we will listen to even more. And we'll get a chance to listen to some of the new music that Drew has. He does have a new album coming out. We definitely want to get to that. You are listening to Lost and Rewound. Radio Free Brooklyn. Come and get embarrassed with us. <laughs> 
welcome back. That was lovely. That was the best use of being creepy, I think, uh, I've heard. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm, creep- I'm creepy, so I'm going to rock it out right now. <laughs> We're here with Drew Cutler here this week on Lost and Rewound. Again, we uh, thank you for listening to us, and we invite you to go and take a look at all of our past episodes on Podomatic if you're curious to hear more about what we have been doing over these past several years, I guess. If yeah. not just the last almost two years. We've of been doing on- shows for years. Guys. But Radio Free Brooklyn, we were almost up on two years uh, celebrating our two-year anniversary next month. Did you know that? It's happening. Yeah, yeah. Dose yeah, anniversary. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> so that's lostinrewound.podomatic.com. Drew, tell us about biscuits and gravy. <laughs> I will. <laughs> yeah. uh, so one of the reasons I put a few of these songs on, um, at this point, I'm probably a junior in high school. You know, I'm hanging out with some buddies. At this point, you know, we drink beers every now and again. We go and do things that the parents don't know about. And we're just trying to have fun. So again, when I come back to this music, I just keep on remembering a version of myself that didn't think that music had to be serious. And I wasn't even sure I understood it at all. It was just something I did with my friends that was fun. I really don't think we should play this whole song, but you could play 10 or 20 seconds. This is me and my buddy. uh, (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. Did you just say that you only want us to play 20 seconds of a song called Biscuits and Gravy? Yeah. Are we not here to get embarrassed with each other? Okay. Biscuits and Gravy. All right, well, I'll just say that some of the opinions in this song are that of a, a 16-year-old kid and not necessarily that of, a, of, of the dude standing behind the mic now. Say no more. This is me and Dave, my friend Dave Hollister, just hanging out in my room, you know, probably recently had smoked a spliff and are just working on the keyboard to make a beat. The views in this next track <laughs> do not reflect the views of Radio Free Brooklyn. Please listen with caution. Yeah. Y'all think y'all got gravy on this? Y'all ain't got nothing on this. Y'all and dogs ain't never gonna take over this gravy pool. That's right. Show them how it's done. Now in the morning I make biscuits and gravy. And every now and then I switch it up. And maybe in the morning I make biscuits and gravy. And every now and then I switch it up. And maybe in the morning I make biscuits and gravy. And every now and then I switch it up. And maybe in the morning I make biscuits and gravy. And every now and then I switch it up. And maybe lay it on the table so that y'all can see that you don't really wanna fuck with me. Every now and then. I tell your girl not to call me unless I'm in. I don't see the trouble in this future with bubble. I see floating with water in my eye. Time flies, triple beams in between the thighs. So why would she lie? I don't know. She's your hoe. That's just how it goes. That's just how it goes. I really like the morning biscuits and gravy. Now in the morning, I make biscuits and gravy. And every now and then, I switch it up and make it. Yeah, that's how we switch this up. Biscuits and gravy to something a little more dignified, you know what I'm saying? Let's ride this out for a little bit. To me with my mysterious smell And I don't wear cologne or aftershave The girls say, and I say, bitch, behave I put safe to the test when I see in my dress While they smell in my chest Saying, yes, you the best, no doubt I make them believe that they can shout, no doubt I make them believe that they can shout You the kind of man that can paint the well With your mysterious 
you, you snap, you got me in the snail. I admit it, motherfucker, that you stank. Hey, ass songs, hey, ass legs, hey, motherfucker, you stank. Straight up, I ain't gonna lie. See, I can play it straight, so I suck her in the eye, penetration. Believe it, I ain't keeping present. This is from walking on, learning real lessons. But bad is the thing that I'm trying to tell you now. Smelling good and smelling bad, the same thing somehow. I think for a song with the name Biscuits and Gravy, I had really high expectations, and they were exceeded. <laughs> the look on your face, Drew, during that was one of entirely too much embarrassment. I think that's what the whole nature of a show like this is supposed to give in, is, is that um, the beginnings that we come from are not supposed to be reflective of who we are now, but who we were and how we got from there to here. You had the classic look, and you still it's washing over you. The look of a lost Rowan guest. <laughs> Sitting there tortured. This is what we intend every week. Yeah, that one I'm not so proud of. It's not going to be remastered on any number one hit thing later. In You're the- a good rapper. <laughs> well, you only one of those verses with me, I will say. What you can start to hear, though, is that I had a keyboard and there's like little more sounds and you start seeing a structure. There's a verse and a chorus and a verse. Like, you know, so you could see like I'm starting to play with more stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just silly. You know, it's just really silly. It's reflective of the time you're making it. And musically, there's a lot to say about just how polished it sounds. I mean, lyrically, okay, sure. I mean, the content isn't supposed to be reflective of a mature and nuanced approach to music. But I mean, if it is, then boy, howdy, great. And if not, then shit. I mean, it's still fun. And it's just what you were saying earlier about how we all have to remember that coming into the music, it's all about play first. Right. I remember one thing that's funny as I listen to that. My place where my soul shudders is when the beat is just like terribly off and like not even. <laughs> yeah, I heard, I heard <laughs> And it's too. like, so this is like the early days of buying a keyboard that doesn't have any quantized feature. You can just program it. I had to play the hi-hat for like seven minutes <laughs> and then like play the snare. And this every once in a while you screw up. It's funny how everyone's got, like, their hidden hip-hop track. <laughs> right. Like the Lost Bars, you know? You um, you still have to contribute your Lost Bars. I, I can't find it you, still, man. My, but my, buddy, my buddy put it on SoundCloud, yeah. and he doesn't know where it is now. I hit him up and asked about it recently. He said he doesn't know where to find it. The, the, the saga will continue. The next song is called I Want a Sandwich. <laughs> That's right. So at this point, I had saved up my money working at Outback Steakhouse. I was a busser. Is that one of your first jobs? Yep. And uh, and I bought a Korg Triton, which is a 88 key weighted keyboard, and it had finally a nice drum machine and uh, you know a lot more bells and whistles. That's a huge piece of equipment, dude. Yeah, I went hard. Well, weighted keys. That's that's legit, dude. It was a a good move. That that thing was a bad boy. I had that for over ten years. I loved it. But that's I, one of those things that you know. I think with an instrument or other things in that nature, it's an investment. You put the money into it, you're going to get it out. 
because it's going to be producing quality sound for you all that time. I When I was a kid, my father used to say, don't put anything cheap on your feet or your eyes, you know, because you put a, ni- like a nice pair of shoes, you mess your feet up, they don't heal right. Same thing with your eyes. It's not like other parts of your body. But if you have nice glasses, like I, I get like these Cadillac glasses every time I put on like the every single little thing and you get it, you get it back, man. You that explains perfectly your shoe choice at the moment, sir. No shoes. I uh, these are these are literally twenty dollar. I think from Payless, possibly. They're bad. Good, good. <laughs> your dad just died a little on the inside. No, I, uh, I, yeah, no. <laughs> the, the, the. Oh God! God of the act. You can't hide your goddamn feet. Um, no, you're right. I I had been going by that for a long time until um, I gave up on all my shoes. When you just you give up on accessories, you give up on you know looking nice, you give up on the hats, you give up on the shoes. Well, I had to give up the shoe I, obsession. I literally I have now just these twenty dollar shoes from Payless. That's all I have. I literally like have w- walked in, like not even joking. Like in the last few days, you're I wa- the one who's crying. I man. walked into a, a a shoe store and was just like, goddamn pathetic. <laughs> and I walked right back. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Let's pull it together. I want a sandwich from the year two thousand with a badass Korg.
that was super dope. That set reminded me of like uh, some video game or DOS game mystery, super sinister level kind of. Thing. I was digging it. It was really put together. I feel like there was, I know, it, like it put me in a place immediately. Yeah. yeah, the sounds are much more solid, you know. And I'm starting to experiment with these little worlds. It doesn't have a form, but we're just playing around. Me and my friend Steve made that. I remember. Yeah, I was thinking of the Pink Panther. That's a good one. <laughs> oh, yeah, I could have that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely sneaky. It's like someone that wants a sandwich, but they want to steal it. Yeah. You know, they're not going to well, make it. The, the they want, they want your sandwich. Too. Well, yeah. that, declarative, <laughs> that declarative statement, it was just like, I want a sandwich. It could be good for like a Garfield video game. I want a sandwich. Right. Rest of the game, mission. <laughs> sandwich. <laughs> Level one, the, the kitchen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mom's like slapping you away. What was the impetus for the Unit J Collective? I was living in Prospect Heights a little before that, so it's sort of South Brooklyn area, and uh, I had a girlfriend that I lived with on and off, and we dated for like seven years, and she moved to the Midwest. And I don't know if anyone in the room has been in this really difficult conversation you have with a lover in which they say, I don't want to live here anymore, and you say, but I do. You know, now what are you supposed to do? So it's really, it's painful. It's tough, man. So it was like a year-long kind of slow pulling off the Band-Aid type of thing. And we still loved each other very much, but she wanted to go back home with her family, and I wasn't ready to leave yet. So I was stuck without a place to go. I helped her move across the Midwest, and I came back, and I had a week to get out of the apartment and find a place. And this dude that I was working with at the Apple Store at the time, he used to work at the Apple Store on 14th Street, he's like, you've got to come check out this place. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, it's off the Wilson L stop. And I was like, where the hell's that? I'm not going out there. He's like, I'm telling you, man, come see the place. We have all this space. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I went to like 10 different apartments and I remember someone showing me a room in Bushwick off the Morgan stop that was a closet door that they just opened and outfitted. It was only three or four feet high. It was a crawl space that you were (laughs) renting and it was like a sleep space and with four other roommates. And even that I applied for and didn't get. And I was like, you didn't screw this. I love that. Screw I didn't, this. You didn't get the pantry. I didn't get the pantry. And so then that, I was I was at the end. I felt I had nowhere to go. I was like super devastated trying to get over the ex-girlfriend thing. And I just stumbled accidentally across this giant warehouse, uh, 338 Moffitt Street and five roommates that were looking for a sixth. So I just moved in. I didn't know anyone. I had no idea what to expect. And we ended up in this giant warehouse that we slowly, over the course of five years, converted into a live music space. All of you who live there are musicians in your own right. Yeah, everybody's an artist in one way or another. So we've had photographers, uh-huh. musicians, filmmakers. Um, you know, that's how I met Allison. She used to come and hang out and sing and perform and do stuff there. What's so? I've been partying there for years. I you know what's so crazy. I don't know if you were there, Jimmy. I got a chance to go there for a fundraiser that Radio Free Brooklyn had. The magic of Unit J is that it's one part living space and one part live music venue, and uh, we do both of them pretty well. So people come into Unit J and they feel like they're in a living room, so they kind of they let their spiritual guard down a little bit. They just sort of relax, you know, because you're not in a club in the Lower East Side where you have to try to look posh or something. You're just hanging. There's a dog chilling. You know, people are drinking Pabst or whatever. 
And then there's a band that plays. But the difference is that we have a stage, we have lights, you can fit 120 people in there. You know, the sound is actually quite good. That's where it becomes elevated and people really pay attention to the music. And that's what's been sort of special. And that's why in a weird way, and we, which we didn't even try, we got nominated twice for Best Live Music Venue in Brooklyn. Yeah, from Brooklyn, kind of, exactly. From Brooklyn. So that was yeah. cool. We want to, at this time, take the opportunity for you to play some music here in the studio. My record is now available on all of the streaming places. It's called Bring Closer the Distance. A little bit of background on the story and the record in general. This was my first time, you know, you guys, you've now heard all this stuff that I did on my own, just playing around, just playing with worlds, playing with sounds. I've been doing this for a long, long time. But this was my first time bringing in and hiring a producer. I had an amazing production team on this record. The folks that helped me make this record, we're talking about the engineers and the mastering folks, have worked with everyone from Keith Richards, David Bowie, and Bob Dylan. You know, I mean, like really heavy hitters. That, You've got a good team ahead, uh, yeah, behind you. These man. people have been doing it for 30 years. It was my first time finding folks that I I had to be vulnerable with and I had to trust them and I had to sort of give them my material and they would say, that's not good enough or change this or modify that make it faster you know we tried a lot of stuff so this first track is the opening track from the record if you've ever driven past or driven to a large body of water there's like this weird cathartic thing that happens when you first get to a big body of water like an ocean you breathe it in you know you sort of smell the salt and it's it's like for just a second the chaos of the world it goes away it's like the volume of the world goes down and sometimes you just need that so it's about that Oceanside. Lost and rewound. Got your picture in my memory. I'll try to keep it clean. But you were there and I'm here. Now there's this in-between Let's drive to the ocean side Let's drive on and on The ocean side Even after the election I don't care Cause I am here, you were there We're protesting everywhere See, you're on the ocean side It goes on and on The ocean side There's a wave in my heart And it's saying goodbye But I don't care if it's broken and I don't care if the sun's coming up while I drive I need the waves of the ocean Some kind of feeling Oh, I'm healing Drop a needle on a Paris Someplace always green You'll be there and I'll be here That says about everything See, you're on the ocean side Life goes on and on the ocean side 
Life goes on and on and on the ocean side. Life goes on and on and on and on and on and on the ocean side. Gorgeous, beautiful, beautiful oh, stuff. Yeah, wonderful. We thrive on the kind of spectacular musicianship that uh, comes into this room like yours, Drew. I mean, that's just really, really, really splendid. A splendid Thursday afternoon treat, courtesy of your talent. And what I would say is, is that uh, I, when I was reading up on the bio that we received from uh, your uh, your team, it said something about Leonard Cohen on the comparison. And I would say that is a high honor and very correct on the comparison. Definitely has that feel. Thank you. Curious to hear the whole record now, just so that I can get the full breadth of the production that uh, you're in. Well, I have for you, folks. What? A little treat. Oh, my God. I'm unpacking a vinyl. I brought a vinyl for you guys here. This was my first record that I was able to press on vinyl, and uh, I'm really proud of it. So for all the folks that are out there, I don't, I don't want to shamelessly plug myself, but if you're in the city, tomorrow, Friday the 13th, awesome. um, we have a vinyl listening party at NoHo Sound, which is a really high-end, beautiful sound place where they're going to play the whole thing from start to finish. And it'll be a really cool, cool time to have some drinks, hang out, and really kind of actually have a musical experience where you just listen to the thing from the beginning to the end. And look at that. On the record, it says, all songs written by Drew Color except for... Dance Me to the End of Love, which was written by Leonard Cohen. Yeah, I did. I covered a Leonard Cohen song. How about that? This is great, man. This has been wonderful. I wish we were able to have more time for you to play even more music, but uh, when could somebody get a chance to see you? You're playing, you're playing this uh, show tomorrow? Yeah, that's the one to push, you know, the, the, and then I'm going on tour in Florida for a little bit. I've got some other stuff coming up, so just check out DrewCutler.com, kind of see what I'm coming your way. And you're on Instagram, you're on Twitter, on Facebook, all D-R-U, Cutler. Easy to remember, Drew with a U. All right, all right. Thank you so much for coming through, Drew. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure, absolutely. Yeah. Ending the show, we will play one of these tracks that's on the record, Brain Place. And you can pick that up and right now. It's available. Drew Cutler on Lost and Rewound. I'm Alon. I'm Jimmy. Catch me Mondays at Tilt, 8.30 p.m. McKibben Street, below the Lofts. As well, we have your, uh, your th- yeah, your third host down south. Down south. <laughs> <laughs> we miss you. Come back again soon. We look forward to seeing you. I look forward to seeing you. I have to get some writing done. Get but some right. Get get some writing done, Drew. Thank you once again for being here. Thank you. Nice meeting you, folks. Bye, Allison. Bye. I'll see you soon. I'll see you in a couple days. Be back again with us next week, three p.m. to four p.m. Right here. Lost and Rewound, Radio Free Brooklyn. Each scrolling light, everything shining down and white. on a graph, every decision connected in. Just 
Get just a nice punch to the face, and then I'll be good. <laughs> and I'll be I'll be set to shit. 